Well, amen. Uh, that was awesome. Thank you, band. Hey, good morning. Happy Memorial Day weekend to you. So glad that you could join us this morning for church online. Hopefully you're having a wonderful Sunday morning by yourself, with your family, whatever it may look like in your home. We're just glad that you are here with us this morning. So from our hearts to yours, from our living room to yours, thanks for being here. Hey, so we're going to pick up in uh, the series that we've been going through called Scattered, talking uh, about the early church in the book of Acts. And so we've been going chapter by chapter through the book of Acts, and we are today on Acts chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you got your iPhone, whatever, open up there and we're going to dive into this. We're going to start uh, at the, actually the end of chapter four, um, but we've been kind of looking through this and seeing how the gospel has been spreading throughout these communities uh, in the early church. And so last week we kind of picked up where the gospel of Jesus Christ, it had been faithfully proclaimed and there were people that were getting saved and there was miracles taking place and, and disciples were getting put in jail or getting arrested and, but they were being freed and all these amazing things were taking place and tons of people were getting saved and coming to Christ. And we look at these different moments in chapters one, two, three, and four, and specifically in chapter two, the end of chapter two, where it says that, you know, all the people had everything in common and they were, they were teaching and they were breaking bread and they were going in people's homes together. And then when we see at the end of chapter four, that they had this whole community, everyone was unified. It was this awesome, dynamic time in the early church. And what we see is that uh, through these beginning portions of Acts is that there's people who accept the gospel of Christ and there are people who are offended by it as well. And so these people who accept it, their life is forever changed and they're super excited for what God is doing. And we know that the gospel can be offensive to those um, who are far from him as well. And so the people who are offended, they seek to march marginalize, mock, or seek to destroy the church. And so this is kind of where it picks up here in the end of chapter four, going into chapter five. And what we see at the end of chapter four here is it seems like the church in Jerusalem, and it just seems legit. It just seems super awesome. Everyone had everything in common. They had gladness. They gave up their possessions. They, they were uh, happy. Everyone, it was like kumbaya in the church. And so let's read this portion here in uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 32, leading into chapter 5. So we kind of set the story up for what happens in chapter 5. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called the apostle Barnabas, um, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
This was a wonderful time. And you know, there's so many people that point to, I just wish that we had a Acts chapter four church. You know, there's uh, uh, so much things that are taking place. It's just awesome. Everyone had everything in common. It's kind of like a relationship, you know, that when you first start dating, it's just awesome, you know, and there, ever, there's no problem with the, uh, the person that you're dating. It's like he loves walks on the beach and he loves to snuggle and watch movies and he's so romantic and there's just like no issue whatsoever. And it was like, this was that time. And, but the, the thing is, you know, there are no such thing as perfect churches. Um, and it looks like the church in Jerusalem was nailing it. And yes, it was for a couple months, but just like a dating relationship, you know, where everything, it's like, we never argue, we have no problems. Just like a relationship, this church as well, and all churches, you know, goes through its cycle. And yeah, for a period of time, this church was dynamic. It was awesome. And these things actually took place where there was unity. Everyone had everything in common. People were selling their possessions and giving it to the poor. It was an astounding time for the church in Jerusalem. But all good things usually come to a close. And it's not that the church, um, uh, came to a close or anything like that. But what we do see is that no church is perfect. And we'll see that some disunity and some dysfunctional uh, people end up coming in the church. And that's where if you're looking for a perfect church, you know, we're not a perfect church here. That's for sure. And if you're looking for a perfect church and you find it, the moment that you begin attending it, it's probably no longer going to be perfect because People make up churches. The church is people and people are imperfect. And so what we see here is what we'll see in chapter five is that there's these uh, two knuckleheads, Ananias and Sapphira. And what they see is they see Barnabas and they see uh, someone like him who sold his land and he gave it to the apostles so that they could distribute it amongst needy people. And they thought to themselves, I want to be just like them. And what we see is that something that really can plague people's hearts is being a, a, a in or unauthentic with who we are or being a hypocrite. And so here's what we see. So Barnabas, this Levite, he sells his field and he gives it to the apostles. And then it's this awesome time. Chapter five begins in verse one. It says, but a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, kind of like Barnabas, right? And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own, at your own disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last breath. Yikes. And a great fear came upon all who heard it. Well, we're just going to end the service there. and We're going to take an offering now. So yeah, um, 
feel free to give whatever you want. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Of course, people were afraid. You know, Ananias just died, right? And so then it says, the young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much I did. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. I would imagine so, because God... uh, is killing people for lying right here. And so I would assume those who saw it were afraid and people uh, shared rumors and different things. And it's like, oh my gosh, all sorts of stuff we can pull from this passage. But here's the main thing that we're going to look at is how can we live an authentic life? You know, when I was younger, I used to think that what this is all about is about money and giving. And that if you don't give God money or enough money or something, then your life is going to be cursed. And uh, that's really what this passage is not about at all. It's not about give enough to God so he's happy with you. What it's about is about hypocrisy in the church. It's about faking it till you make it. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before, like just fake it till you make it. It's about living an authentic life and not grieving the Holy Spirit or lying to God. And so this is one of what happened in the early church. The church was Uh, this great, amazing place. And the first pitfall that this church fell into was hypocrisy. And you know, hypocrisy is one of the things that will never leave the church. You know, it happens in our church, every other church around. And that's because people are sinful. People are imperfect. We're insecure. And hypocrisy is easy. We can easily drift towards that. Uh, where we feel like we need to look more mature than we actually are or look more spiritual than we actually are. One thing that will always be true is that hypocrisy will be in the church. Here's the definition of hypocrisy. It is a pretense of having a virtuous character, moral or religious beliefs or principles that one does not really possess. It's the fake it till you make it mentality. That when you show up into church and you see the amazing people around you and you feel like if if you just act more like them, if you dress more like them, you put your church swag on, you see how maybe certain people dress in the church and you feel like if you dress like them, if you say certain phrases, you get the lingo down and you start acting the part and you start uh, without actually having your heart impacted by the gospel and what's actually happening, that is called hypocrisy. And what will happen over time is it will ruin your relationship with others, the Lord, and the church is hurt by it. 
So, you know, it's easy to come to church and try and look our best and put everything on and put everything and make everything look right. While on the inside, our heart has never really truly been changed. And this is what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They saw, they, they were one of the people who uh, believed and they started coming to church and they saw what Barnabas did. He sold his land and he presented it to the apostles. And they saw that maybe people uh, patted him on the back, gave him hugs, and they thought how awesome it was and God was getting all this glory and people were coming to Christ and people were being fed and they thought, hey, well, we could do that too. Let's sell our land and we'll tell them that we sold our land and we're giving all the proceeds to the church. But in reality, they held back 25% for themselves. And so when they came and they said, we sold our land and we gave everything to the Lord. Hallelujah. But they kept some for themselves. It was that over spirituality, the hypocrisy that they were trying to fake it till they make it. They wanted the notoriety of giving away something without understanding what God really wanted was their heart and to be authentic with uh, themselves, with God and with others. And you know, here's the thing is if you're not ready to get real with God, God's probably not ready to heal your heart because it takes authenticity, being open and real for God to do the real work in your life. Ananias and Sapphira, they saw what others did and they sought the applause of others. It says that they schemed. Peter says, why did you scheme and do this? They schemed. So how do we come hip, become hypocrites? There's two reasons we get caught up in this. The gospel meets us where we are and it tells us truth about ourself and that truth is is that we are not that awesome and that you're a sinner and that the gospel says that in in spite and in light of your sinfulness and how not awesome you are God loves you he forgives you and he makes you righteous in the sight of God and so what happens is that we start And when we come into church, we have this understanding that we're sinners and we need grace. But then what can happen is we can move past that, move past that and feel like, well, maybe we're not as bad of sinners anymore and we don't need God's grace. We lose sight of the gospel and what it means in our life. And you just become like all the people around you. Yet your heart has stayed exactly the same. A hypocrite grabs hold of the language, the look, or the action, but not the heart of the matter. That's what a hypocrite does. And the gospel says that we have been rescued out of our own depravity. And without that, in the forefront of our mind consistently, we begin to over-spiritualize. We begin to try and fake it till we make it look like others, try and be more spiritual or more mature than we actually are and act like I don't need that much grace anymore. And through that, we hurt and we grieve the Lord and others around us. I love what Matt Chandler says to his church often. He says, it's okay to not be okay. You just can't stay there. 
that there's this process called sanctification, that as we dive into our relationship with God, and as we allow him to change the innermost parts of who we are, we actually are not okay. We are spiritually dead in our sin, and God comes in and brings us new life. And it's okay to not be okay. And we go through periods in, of life that we, we need him, and we need others around us. So it's okay to not be okay. Okay, but you just can't stay there. That God should be sanctifying you, making you more and more holy and like him. And that um, we begin to move and our spirit and our soul and our heart begins to change. Not just our look, our language, or our actions around us. So Peter says, Ananias, why are you lying? Why are you pretending to be more than you are? Why are you doing this? He, you know, he says, uh, uh, he says, essentially, you had the property. You could have done whatever you wanted with it. He, uh, what does he say? He says, um, uh, he says, uh, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did, not, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? He essentially says, it was your land. You could have done whatever you wanted with it. And then when you sold it, you could have given 10% of it to the church, none of it to the church. You didn't have to give a dime to us. But why did you act like you gave everything when in reality you didn't? It was yours to give. And... That's what God ultimately wants. It's not about how much you give. What it really is, is about is your heart. Are you a generous giver? Are you a, 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 a glad giver? Are you a happy giver? Um, is your heart, is your motive correct? Is it right? He says it was yours to do with whatever you wanted. Why would you act like you had more than you really did? So what leads people out of hypocrisy, and it's going back and reminding that they are in need of God's grace, that they have no secrets that God doesn't already know, and that they're in the sanctification process that God is continually making them more, better and better, more holy. So, other thing is, are we really willing to have those types of relationships in our life that they're able to speak into areas in which we are blind? A failure to walk in community that reveals what's really going in our hearts, minds, and lives is what will keep us in hypocrisy and in uh, not being authentic with who we are. Secrets are unhelpful. You being private, uh, privatized in your faith will only be harmful to you. And I, I think sometimes we get in this mindset of like, if I doubt and struggle and other people know that, it looks like it's weakness, whether it be emotional, relational, physical, or spiritual weakness. It looks like weakness, and doubt is not weakness. Quit trying to carry it all on your own and not allowing other people around you to, uh, for you to be real and authentic with and for other people to be able to hold you up. We need to repent that we think we're more than we are. Ananias, they say, you're not lying to us. You're just lying to God. So 
Why do so many people fall into sin? It's because we forget God. We don't fear God. That one day we will be judged by our actions. So here's two big thoughts we can take from this. First is God takes sin seriously. That's the first thing that jumps out in my mind when I read this passage. It's like God takes sin really seriously. Now, you hear Christians, and I hear Christians all the time that say like, well, sin is actually all the same. There's no sin that's, that means anything different to God. Sin's just sin in God's eyes. And that's actually not true. Um, that there are different levels of sin. Uh, and just like plain sin, uh, sense, if think about our world. Have you ever heard of first degree murder, second degree murder, or manslaughter? Th- those things where it's like, did you get in an argument and then a fight with someone and then someone died because someone you know, got killed? Or did you hide behind a bush all day and think about killing someone and then you killed them. Those are two different things. And those come out of Old Testament principles. Those laws that we have today came out of the Old Testament. And so when we think about it, think about it this way. is like sin is like cancer. How much cancer do you want in your body? A little bit? A lot? The answer is none. You want no cancer in your body at all. And while there's different types of cancers, they all will lead to your death. And that some might kill you quicker than others. Some are more dangerous than others. But cancer is cancer, sure. But sin is sin, but some sins will kill you quicker than others. Some sins will have higher consequences than others will. So, This is where he says, why have you contrived this deed in your heart? Peter says to Ananias, you have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. And this is where some people, they get in that pitfall of when they sin, they just go, well, God has to give me grace. So as long as I sin, God's going to give me grace. Grace abounds, right? Awesome. But we also read in Hebrews that if we have that mentality that I sin and I just have this mentality of God's going to forgive me for anything. He's going to give me grace. Hebrews says, do not insult the spirit of grace. You cannot manipulate God according to his own character. God takes sin very seriously. And one day you and I will be judged by all our actions of what we did here on earth. One day we will stand before the judge of the universe, who is God himself. And he will judge you for your actions. And he takes sin very seriously. Second big idea here, if you didn't catch on to it already, is authenticity matters to God. Authenticity matters to God. So a couple, couple quick things we learn out of here is one is we need to be, learn to be real with ourselves. We need to learn to understand, um, am I really, uh, do I, uh, am I more spiritual or am I not as spiritual as I think I am? Am I not as mature as I think I am? That we need to be real with ourselves. We need to be authentic with who we are. Second is we need to develop relationships with other Christians that um, are real. We need to have people in our life that uh, we're able to be fully authentic with. Like you think of passages like, you know, iron sharpens iron in the Bible. Or a a triple braided cord is better than two. These passages that when we're together in community... We're stronger, we're healthier when we're authentic with others. But there's kind of this two ends of the spectrum, right? There's kind of the one end of the spectrum that is you're a hypocrite and you are, you 
fake it till you make it. You do it all on your own. You carry the weight of the world on your shoulders and you don't let anyone in. And then there's this other spectrum as well that just says, Um, I I let everyone know all of my problems. And what we want to learn to do is uh, we want to learn to um, uh, be authentic with not just our problems, but our heart. It's easy to be in like a group of people and just to always tell people your problems, thinking that what that is, is just authenticity. But what we want to get to a place is that we're not just saying, here's all my problems. Bah, you know, it's kind of the verbal vomit. Bleh. That's not necessarily authenticity. What we want to learn here is to be authentic with our heart. So here's my problem, right? Um, I, I have an alcohol problem. But what we want is to get to the heart is that what are the issues in your heart that's taking place? Why, why do I do the things that I do? You know, what does God think about this? It's getting in the, the issue of the heart. Living an authentic life means sharing what's happening in me, not just happening or not just what's happening around me. It's easy to have uh, life on an Instagram kind of feed that you're, you just snap pictures of what's happening around you and you let people know of what's happening around you and not inside of you. That here's this problem, everyone. Problem, problem. And what God truly wants for us is to not just be able to be authentic with the problems around us, but what's happening inside of us. What am I feeling? What am I dealing with inside? Why do I, why do I get angry at the ki- uh, my kids the way I do? Or why do I treat my spouse the way that I do? I feel I have anger. I have these, you know, issues in my heart. And then again, that we don't just, it's okay to not be okay, but we can't just stay there. We have to allow God to begin sanctifying us and making us more and more holy. Fourth and last thing is we need to develop a real authentic relationship with God. Colossians 3, 3 says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are in earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ and God. Your real life, what life is really all about is hidden and it is in God. That as we develop an authentic relationship with our creator, as we begin to open his word up and let his word sink into our heart, and as we are able to pray and worship him, and we begin to develop this this relationship, this authentic relationship, we give him our heart, he begins sanctifying us in a process. And in that we find our true life, that our true life is hidden in Christ in God. That's where it's at. And that as we look at these two things, that God takes sin really seriously and that authenticity really matters to God, that sure, one day God will judge us for all that we do. And that what he so desires more than anything is that he wants a relationship with you, a true, genuine relationship that isn't just faking it till you make it, not just over-spiritualizing or dramatizing things, but it's a deep, wonderful, authentic relationship with the creator who uh, loves you, created you, and he desires a relationship with you. 
And so, sure, God's the ultimate judge. But here's the thing is that right now in this moment, that God takes your sin and my sin really seriously, but he wants a relationship with you. And you can begin a relationship with, with your heavenly father and with Jesus Christ right now in this moment. And if you wanna do that, I wanna I want invite you just to pray a simple prayer with me. And today can be the day that you begin an authentic relationship with Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, I just ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe in you, Jesus. Would you come into my heart? I wanna follow you all the days of my life. I want you to be my savior and my Lord. Thank you for who you are. Fill me this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, it is the best decision that you could have ever made. And I'm so happy that you're starting on this uh, journey in this, with this authentic relationship with Jesus today. Would you please reach out to us? We want to help you connect in your uh, new walk with the Lord. So you can reach out uh, online. You can go to northchurch.net. We'd love to connect with you. And at this time, we're going to sing another song. So I invite you to worship with us this morning together. Thanks.
Lord, we pray that we would find authenticity in our relationship with you. That everything that comes out of our mouths is honest and true. Lord, that we would be more like you with everything that we do and everything that we say. That is the cry of our hearts. Let's cry of your heart too, Lord, to make us like you. We're already made in your image. We are so thankful for the opportunity that you've given us and that our sins do not define us. Lord Jesus, you are all-knowing and all-powerful and all-forgiving, but Lord, we need your help in that process. Thank you for refining us. Thank you for putting people in our lives to sharpen us. Lord, we love you, and we're so thankful for you. It's in your name we pray these things, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed yourself with us today. Next week, we'll have our services again at 9 and 11 a.m., and we look forward to having you join us again.